Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Leadership Drip. Um, For me personally, this is one of the shows I have been looking forward to for a long time. When we started the Leadership Drip uh, just over a year ago, this was one of my first guests, uh, international speaker, best-selling author, traveler, husband, father, follower of Jesus, but uh, honestly, just a huge influencer in my own personal life. And uh, it's a joy to have with us today, John Bevere. And John, so thank you for being on the show. This is the treat. Rob, it's a pleasure to be with you. Jeff, it's a pleasure to be with you. Now that I got it straight, inside <laughs> joke for our listeners, they'll have to just guess on that one. Yeah, yeah. I, and I know we talked previously when we had your wife, uh, Lisa, on the show, and uh, I just want to reiterate again, the book, Bait of Satan, it's still one of the number one recommended books I give out of my office all the time. It is one of the most influential books of my own personal life. And uh, so I want to thank you for, for that. And I uh, just want to give a shout out for all those who have read, but need to read Bait of Satan, yeah. incredible book. So there we go. So uh, John, thank you for being on. And uh, we talk about, a lot about leadership on the podcast here. We're on a college campus, next generation leadership, which we know you are heavily invested because yes, your own sons are heavily involved in the ministry, especially with Messenger International in yep. different ways and uh they are rightfully successful in their in their own work and uh so i know that you've have invested heavily if i'm not mistaken you actually began ministry on a college campus yourself is, is that correct yeah i was i was playing uh varsity tennis at purdue university and i was studying mechanical engineering and i hate to say this but it's it, it's a true reality i didn't have a lot of respect for you unless you were a really good athlete so uh, there were a lot of people that tried to witness to me and I didn't listen to them because I saw Christians as being a wimpy. Yeah. And one of the best athletes in the state of Indiana lived in my fraternity and he came up and shared Campus Crusade for Spiritual Laws and got opened my eyes and I got saved. I was starting on the Purdue team. And I remember I came back from that spring road trip and I had flunked a physics test because I was studying engineering. And I remember thinking, I have three things in my life right now, God, tennis, and uh, engineering. One of them needs to go. And it was a no-brainer. I walked off the Purdue tennis team as a starter. And I've never regretted it because it wasn't what I was called to do. And so, um, yeah, I got really passionate about the gospel. And I'm in a fraternity. There was like 45 fraternities and about 25 sororities on Purdue's campus. And I started an off-campus fraternity sorority Bible study and we had as many as 60 65 kids coming and they were getting saved and just filled with the spirit of God just turned on to Jesus and it was really a wonderful experience and then I had the privilege my last three weeks of school to lead Lisa to the Lord and she became my wife that's, that's so great. She, she unpacked that story for <laughs> us. We, so if you don't know that story, you yeah. go back to that episode. And, and, and I think she said something about you being that skinny guy over there with the Bible. But that wasn't my words. Those were Lisa's words. She, she dated guys that would break you in half if you looked at them wrong. And, uh, you know, I was a tennis player. So, you know, that's why she calls me skinny. But I beg to differ with that description. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from there. <laughs> Compared to the guy she dated, yes, I was skinny. <laughs> we don't want to cause any family conflict, so we'll just move on. Oh, never. Are you kidding? We, we thrive off of those fun family conflicts. I, I was talking to Jeff earlier, and he's like, what's a question you want to ask John? I said, 
I said, I want to have John invite me over to his house for dinner, not to eat. I just want to watch. I want to <laughs> see what happens in the Bevere home with all of those dynamics. So anyway. It's the most competitive home you'll ever sit in. <laughs> all right. So let's talk a little bit about leadership. I mean, obviously, that's uh, something that you're passionate about. It's something that you've written on. It's something that you do on yes. a daily basis. And uh, obviously, on a college campus, our, our focus here is helping young adults engage in leadership, uh, experience leadership, and do leadership well. And so in reaching the next generation for Jesus, what, what is something that you see a factor, uh, number one factor perhaps, that we need to fo be focusing on? Well, this is, this is why I wanted to come on your program, because the new book I just wrote yeah. is addressing this very question. And, and it's called X. The new book is X. It launches November 17th and 2020. And this is my passion. And this would be excellent for college, young college people coming up. And the passion is to help everybody in the body of Christ understand you have a calling on your life. Right. So let, let's just backtrack. If I say he has a call of God on his life, where do our minds go? Missionary, pastor, worship leader, something like that, right? Yeah. No, that's such a lie. Every single Christian has a call of God on their life. And with that calling comes supernatural gifts to accomplish that calling. Now, because we limit the gifts to within the four walls of the conference center or the church, we are missing out on about probably 98% of the gifts being operating because most of the gifts in the body of Christ are meant to operate outside the church, not inside the church. So fact number one, every single Christian has a call on their life. Fact number two, every single Christian has a gift or gifts they are supernatural abilities that God gives. They're not your own ability, but they're God's ability in order to, you, to accomplish that. Let me give you an example. Seven years ago, I'm with one of our partners. Now, what we've been able to do by the grace of God is we've been able to give away over 41 million resources to pastors and leaders in 226 nations and 111 languages. Well, one of our partners who has significantly contributed to that, he and I were coming back from a round of golf and he, he got a little vulnerable. He said, John, you know, um, my businesses have been very successful, but I've worked my tail off. And he said, you know, I'm worth about 9 million. My wife's cared for life. My children are cared for life. He said, I just turned 50. Why should I work my tail off as I've done in the decade of the fifties to build my net worth up to 35 million. And I, I knew it was a moment guys. And I looked inside and said, Holy spirit, you got to help me. And, and the spirit of God gave me an idea. I immediately said, well, let me give you a different scenario to answer your question. I said, at that time it was 17 books. It was now, it's now 22 books, but I said, I've written 17 books. They're in a hundred and over a hundred languages. I've gotten on planes, flown to over 60 countries. I've, stood on major platforms, but I have fought jet lag. I have eaten the craziest foods. I have encountered strange cultures. I've lived in little 104 square, 400 square foot rooms for 200 nights a year, hotel rooms. I said, you know, my wife's cared for life. My children are cared for life. Why should I get on another plane? Why should I write another book? And he laughed. Okay. This businessman laughed at me and he said, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes when you face Jesus. And I said, his name was Stan. I said, Stan, you just said the exact same words. And I'll never forget, we were downtown LA. And that smile, like I wouldn't want to be in your shoes when you face Jesus, left his face and his jaw dropped. And he looked at me, looked away from the highway and said, what are you talking about? And I said, very simple. 
I said, you are just as called as I am. And I said, you have unique giftings to build. And you can do one of three things with these unique giftings. Number one, you can use it to build yourself. Number two, you can use it as intended to build the kingdom. Or number three, you can just sit on those gifts and not do anything with them. And I said, the problem is here, you've connected my dots. You see my writing, my, writing, my speaking giftings on how it builds the kingdom. You haven't connected your dots. And I said, your gifts are actually probably more important than my gifts. And he said, what? I said, yeah, because my Bible tells me the parts of the body that aren't seen are more valuable or we bestow more honor on the parts that are seen. I'm a seen gift. You're not. And I said, therefore, that makes you more important. And I, you know, I remember the paradigm shift that hit his life. I said, you know, I, I remember six months later, I said, Hey, how are you doing? He said, I've been haunted in a good word by the words you spoke to me six months ago. I am busting my butt. That's what he said to build my business up to where I'm worth 35 million so I can give more to the kingdom. Well, he caught it guys. And I don't care if we're talking to a stay home mom. I don't care if we're talking to an emergency room nurse, uh, a third grade teacher, every single one of us have a unique calling and a set of gifts. And this is what really concerns me, Rob and Jeff. This is what the average Christian thinks, okay? If I'm a good Christian, in other words, I treat people kind, I show up at work on time, I don't steal from my company, I go to church on Sunday, my gifts will automatically work. That is so false because there is not a more godly man in the New Testament than Timothy. Yeah. Think about it. Paul wrote to the entire Philippian church and said, I have never met a man with more godly character than Timothy. But he has the right to Timothy two different letters and say, Timothy, the gift in you, it's not operating. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's just being godly operates the gift, stirs up the gift. Then Timothy would have had it stirred up to the maximum capacity. He was godly, yet his gift was not operating. Mm -hmm. And this, the purpose of this book is to get people to realize, number one, you are uniquely gifted. Number two, to identify those gifts. Number three, to stir them up. And number four, to multiply those gifts. Now, when you're in college and you're formulating your future, without this knowledge, you're in trouble. You're like a person. You know what you are? You're like a person that has a fifth grade education. And then you say, I'm going to go become a doctor and I'm going to operate on people. Hey, look, I just did my previous podcast with the wife of a medical doctor. And I asked her, how many years past graduation did your husband have to go to school to learn about the human body? She said, eight years. All right. Why aren't we telling people to seek God about that unique giftings on their life so they can stir them up so it'll make them more effective in what they're called to do? Yeah. That's so good. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm processing, but I have a question, John. Don't worry. <laughs> You talk about the, the title of the book is Multiply Your Potential. Um, for a lot of people, potential is almost like a cuss word. Like they, they, and it's usually associated with like not living up to it. Yeah. I call it the Ryan Leaf effect. If you remember Ryan Leaf, he was a Heisman candidate from Washington State quarterback. He got drafted number one and was an absolute bust. And the, the bag on Ryan Leaf was he never lived up to the potential. Yeah. So how do we as, as Christians with these gifts, these supernatural gifts, if everybody's got one, we all have a calling, how do we not become Ryan Leaf? How do we live up to that potential? First of all, realizing that you're always in the sacred. Let me, let me, uh, let me, help, you, let me help you with a story because I think stories always help us understand things. 
Uh, I have a friend who pastors over 30,000 member church. He's a really close friend. And he was telling the story. He said, you know, um, there's a really well-known medical doctor in my church. And, you know, he has a leadership conference every year and it sells out. And he said, I was walking through the auditorium the day before the leadership conference started. And there was that well-known medical doctor putting pamphlets on the delicate seats. And he said, I rushed over to him and said, doc, doc, we got volunteers and interns that can do this. You don't need to be doing this. And he said, that doctor rebuked me. And he said, pastor, I take one week a year off my medical practice so I can build the kingdom of God. Please don't take this from me. Guys, I've, I've wept over this. I mean, I was on podcast two weeks ago and I started crying. Because that doctor walks into his medical practice 51 weeks a year seeing himself as he's in the secular. And he gets one week a year, he gets to be in the sacred, when the reality is he's 52 weeks a year in the sacred. See, most of our listeners, they see, I'm in the sacred when I'm listening to Rob and Jeff on the podcast. I'm in the sacred when I'm at church on 90 minutes on Sunday morning. I'm in the sacred when I'm in my quiet time in the morning. No, you're not. That, I, yes, you are, but that's not limited to that. You're in the sacred 24-7. Right. And if we understood this, we would approach life differently. You know, I look at most Christians, they don't have the passion of Mother Teresa. They don't have the passion of Billy Graham. Why don't they? Because they see themselves in the secular most of the time of their life. So the first thing that has to happen is people have to eradicate the fact that there is a distinction between secular and sacred. And I, I look at, um, can I tell another story, guys? Yeah. Because I, is, is, I think this is answering your question. Uh, last year, I spoke at a, a major conference in Dallas, and it was, you know, one of the Bethel group. It was a Bethel conference, and, and they said, they called me, the leader of the conference called me and said, hey, a multi-billionaire wants to meet with you, and he wants you to speak into his life. I said, okay. I said, do you recommend I meet with him? And they said, yes, absolutely. So they set up a, a lunch, and this guy walks in with his wife. She's Asian. He's New Zealand, and they have two couples that are their assistants. And I think I'm supposed to minister to this guy, but he ends up ministering to me, mm -hmm. okay? Because he's a multi-multi-billionaire, okay? And he said, John, I was struggling in the marketplace. He said, I had read all the New York Times bestsellers on business, on the economy. And he said, but I'm struggling, I'm floundering as a businessman. And he said, this went on for quite some time. He said, one day I'm in church and I'm watching my pastor preach. And he said, while he's preaching, the thought hits me, he's called to do that. And he depends on the Holy Spirit. I'm called to do what I'm doing in the marketplace. Why don't I depend on the Holy Spirit? Hmm. So he said, I started getting a notepad out and I put it on my desk every morning and say, all right, Holy Spirit, what are we doing? And he said, he started giving me things to do that seemed insignificant. Now, guys, this is, the, this is the key right here. Insignificant. Now, think about it. What did Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like? A mustard seed. A mustard seed is one of the most insignificant seeds that you'll ever encounter. It is so tiny, but yet it grows into one of the largest trees. So he said the Holy Spirit would tell me to do things, and I'm thinking, that doesn't make sense. That's insignificant. He said, I would do them, and they were the things that started flourishing. 
He said, like, I was in an accusation, he, he said, I was in an accu, accusations, acquisitions meeting, and he said, the Holy Spirit told me to do something that morning in that acquisitions meeting that seemed very insignificant, but I did it 20 times. He said, I ended up from that meeting buying 20 hospitals in Vietnam. Then he told me how he bought the second largest bank in the world, and that was even crazier. And I'm sitting there realizing how many, how many business people, factory workers, how many school teachers, how many media people, arts people are out there, and they're doing everything the way the world says to do it, when in reality, God is the one that wants them successful. Because Moses made this statement in Psalms 90, he's 90, 90 or 92, he said, make our efforts successful. God wants every one of our efforts successful. And if you look at Daniel, guys, Daniel was raised in this little country, and he's brought to the most powerful nation in the world. Now stop and think with me. This nation of Babylon is number one economically, socially, politically, governmentally, education, arts, science, military. I mean, America's like 26 in education in the world, so don't think America. So Daniel's brought up in this little country. He's brought in to the most powerful nation in the world. Now, all the he's a government leader, Daniel. He's put in government, excuse me. And the king interviews him and his friends, and the king says he's 10 times wiser, smarter, more innovative and creative than the very best leaders in, in, in Babylon. Now, he starts coming up with ideas that they'd never thought of. Who's given him these ideas? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he gets promoted over everybody. And the Bible actually says in Daniel 6.3 that he distinguished himself among the government leaders of Babylon because he had an excellent spirit. Now, I think about that in the light of what Jesus says to us. Let your light shine that men may see your good works that they are wrought in God. He didn't say let your light shine that men may hear your good messages that they are heard from God. Mm. So Jesus talking about our giftings, that our giftings are supernatural. They rise above natural ability. So the people go, whoa, where did you get that from? Can you imagine the leaders in Babylon? They're thinking, we have been taught by the most knowledgeable scientists, the greatest leaders, the most knowledgeable teachers in the world. Where are these guys getting these ideas from? Right. Okay, so you talk about potential. I think, what's, what's his name again? Green, uh, Leaf? Brian Leaf, yeah. Brian Leaf. I'm going to say something that may make, make some of us mad. But I'm going to say it with a dad's heart because I really care about us. I think 90% of us right now are Ryan Leafs. Mm -hmm. So potential is a word we don't like because we don't realize the power of it. Because we're trying to fulfill our destinies. Guys, listen. I mean, man, I'm feeling God on this one right now. We're trying to fulfill our destinies in our own ability. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I want all the listeners to listen to me, all you great young college students. And I wish somebody would have talked to me like this when I was in college. Because I had to learn this the hard way. The calling that God's placed on your life is beyond your natural ability. Right. How do I know that? How do I know that? It's, it's very simple. God says, I will never share my glory with anyone. So if God would have made what he called you to do on this earth, able to be accomplished with your natural ability, 
then he'd have to share the glory with you. God on purpose made our calling beyond our natural ability, so we would have to depend on the supernatural gifts that he's placed upon us to accomplish it. So good. <laughs> I think you send it's, Rob. I think it's Rob. Rare, it's rare that there's that big of a break in the yeah, show. Rob very rarely likes words. But yes, that, that is true. And I think I think you're you're really tapping into something well, a lot of different things here, John. First of all, there needs to be a, a reclaiming of a healthy theology of work and what it really means to to live out those passion skills that God gives us. And I, I think I think your son Addison put it very well. One of the highest callings and needs we have in the kingdom of God right now is the call for secular saints, right? Uh, we, we need people in every facet of business, market, health, whatever, living out their calling for Jesus in those areas and in those spheres. So I think that's, that's critical. Now this conversation about potential, I think is more of a soul issue, not just a skill issue because we lack a lot of times, I think, the capability to fully understand the good things that God has called us to do, Ephesians chapter 2, right? I mean, right. we don't even know how to embrace that idea. We, we, we may dream about it. We may fantasize about it. Yeah. But we never really actually know how to begin to live out in Ephesians 2 reality. Mm-hmm. So what is the process of beginning to actually to unlock or maximize or see that potential come to reality in our lives. And that sounds so trifle. The apostles finally out of frustration just said, what do we do to do the works of God? And what did Jesus say to them? This is how you do the work of God. You believe. So the Bible, okay, the Bible calls grace charis. The majority of the Christians in America, this is actually a survey that was done right around 10 years ago. Over 5,000 Christians were polled across the United States. And the question was asked, give three or more one-word definitions of the grace of God. The overwhelming answers were a free gift, salvation, and forgiveness of sins. Number four was the love of God. Only 1.9% of the people polled said that grace was God's empowerment. Mm. Yet that's exactly how God himself defines grace. Because do you remember in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, when God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. So wait a minute, God just said, my grace is my power, works best in your weakness. Your weakness is your human inability. Now, here's the problem. The problem is this. Ephesians 5, or excuse me, Romans 5, 2 says we have access to grace through faith. In other words, faith is what gives us access to the empowerment. Okay, I was 15 minutes late on this podcast with you guys. Why? Because my computer jammed up and would not give me access to Zoom. So I want you to see that, okay? What the only way we have access to is to the empowerment is to believe. All right? If 98% of the Christians in America don't know that grace is God's empowerment that gives them the ability to go beyond their natural ability. That means 98% of the Christians in America are trying to fulfill their calling in their own ability. Mm. That is a recipe for a train wreck right there. Okay. So now we have to change this because the Greek word for grace is charis. If you look at the Greek word for gifts, it's charis with an M and an A on it. <clears throat> what does that spell? Charisma. 
That's the specific gift of grace that God places on each of us that gives us the ability to go beyond our natural ability. For instance, one of the gifts on my life, the charismas on my life, is writing. A lot of people don't know this, but my worst subjects in high school were English and creative writing. I scored a 370 on the SAT in English. In all my travels, I've only met two human beings that scored lower than me on the SAT in English, and one of them said he just guessed at the answers. So <clears throat> my worst subject was English and creative writing. If you would look at my English teachers right now and say, John Bevere is an international best-selling author, they'd laugh you out of the room if you could even find them, okay? So when God comes to me in, in the summer of 2001 and said, son, I want you to write, I'm laughing. I'm like, you got the wrong child. I, do you have so many of us kids now, you're getting us mixed up with one another? He tells me to write. So to me, that seems like a very insignificant request. Right. So I did ignore it for 10 months. And 10 months later, two women from two different states within two weeks of each other came to me and said, John Bevere, if you don't write what God's giving you to write, he will give the message to somebody else. And one day you'll have to stand and give an account for it. So when the second woman said it two weeks after the first, the fear of God hit me. And I got a notebook piece of paper and I wrote a big, bold, with a Sharpie contract on top. And I wrote a contract with God. Mm. I'm basically saying in this contract, I think you're making a huge mistake. You got much better writers out there. I need grace. And I, I didn't even understand grace to be empowerment at that time. I said, I need grace. And I signed the contract. Now today, the books are in the tens of millions. They're in 129 languages. They're all over the world, all but 14 countries of the world. I look at those books. I look at these books and I realize my name's on it because I was the first guy to get to read it. Why? Because it's God's ability, not my ability. I'm stewarding what belongs to him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So everybody listening to us has those kind of giftings on their life. But the reason they aren't operating is because they don't believe. So it would appear on the surface that I'm putting a lot of pressure on people. If I am, you're missing the whole message. I'm asking you to believe and listen, not strive in your own effort. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than every one of the apostles, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. He knew the empowerment of grace. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So it happens even with godly living. I mean, this is where the enemy really cuts guys down and girls down right at the knees early. Peter said, grace be multiplied to you. Second Peter chapter one, grace be multiplied to you as his divine power. So Peter refers to grace as his divine power. Isn't that funny? Only 2% of the Christians in America understand that. Grace be multiplied to you as his divine power is given to us everything we need to live a godly life. Yeah. You know, I tried to get free from pornography five years as a Christian in my own ability, but then I discovered grace. And now I got free when I was 25 and I've never been, I've never been bound to it since. Okay, I'm 61 years old now. So I went from 25 to 61 walking completely free from what I couldn't get myself free from in my own ability. But when I discovered the power of grace, I got free. Mm -hmm. And this is what I want to see young people, because first of all, that's the first way the enemy knocks them at the knees, doesn't even get them into their divine calling because they can't even live a godly life because they're trying to do it in their own ability. So unfortunately, what we've done is we've taken this, the grace of God and we've said, okay, 
it, it covers us. We're all a bunch of sinners and we're no better than the other sinners. We just got grace covering us. So in essence, we have undersold grace. We've, cheap, we've cheapened it in the fact that we didn't tell people it is the empowerment to give us the ability to do what we could never do in our own ability. Yes. This is yeah. what Paul means when he writes, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think. Now listen to this, according to the power that works in us. What power is he talking about? He's talking about the power of grace. Yeah. It's a, John, it's a whole reframing for, for many Christians because um, I hate to use this language, but grace has always been a soft word. Like, like the grace of God is one of those sort of poetic words of God. You know, it feels soft, but you're reframing it in scripturally so in that grace is an empowerment. Uh, and, and so this is a whole new line of thinking for most people. And so God gives us gifts. I think everybody agrees with that. Yeah. We operate in those gifts. And sometimes I think the gifts and the talents are often linked together. Um, what, is it, what about the things that, that were already gifted in? How do we multiply the gifts of God or the talents of, that God's put in us? Um, you, you mentioned the writing, that writing was not a skill you had that God empowered you to write. Um, but what about the things God's put in us that we've already identified? How do we multiply those? That's very good question. So the parable of the talents is the very focal point of this entire message. Now, what our talents represent, they, are, they represent our supernatural giftings. Mm -hmm. So Jesus says, you've got this guy. He gives each of his servants, and these are servants inside of his kingdom. One yeah. gets one, one gets two, one gets five. Yeah. And he goes on a long trip, right? What is the key? The key is they begin to use what they had. So now let's say I, okay, my gifting is writing and preaching, but let's say I tried to be the guy from New Zealand and try to become the multi-billionaire in the marketplace. That's not my gift. I can't multiply it. My gift is writing and preaching. Mm -hmm. You'd be amazed. I have, a, I have a PGA golfer who's one of my closest friends. For years, he tried to do what I was doing. He wanted to travel and speak at churches and play on the PGA Tour halftime and preach halftime. And he missed the cut. He was staying at my house. I said, hey, I got to go do a conference in LA or Las Vegas. Why don't you come on the plane with me? He jumped on the plane. We go to Las Vegas. God touched him in a profound way. And after the, the, the meeting, I said to him, I said, did God, did God like speak to you during tonight? And he said, absolutely. So what did he say? He told me to play golf. <laughs> okay. So now he stops accepting invitations, and he's won four PGA events. He hadn't won any PGA event before that. He's been on the tour 15 years, and at one point, shortly after that, he got to number 16 in the world. All right, what happened there? He discovered his gift was to play golf, and that's a platform that he has reached a lot of people now on, but he wasn't trying to be a preacher. It just organically happened. Mm, yeah. Okay, so now the so that's the first thing. I can't multiply that businessman's gifts because that's not what's on my life. So the first thing is discovering what's on you. The second thing is you have to believe for multiplication. Multiplication doesn't occur unless you believe for it. Okay, so now when 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 you look, you know it's really interesting. Paul says, as servants of Christ, we have to view ourselves as stewards. 
Now remember, a steward is somebody who, what he, what he or she does is they manage what, they, man, they have the authority to manage what belongs to somebody else. Joseph is the best example of a steward in the Bible. Potiphar didn't even know what he was, what was going on in his household financially, except for the food at his table. Right. Stewards aren't micromanaged. And that's why Jesus says he gives them these talents and goes on a long trip. He's not going to micromanage them. Now, what do the first two do? They multiply by investing. So in other words, they're actively investing. Okay. If I said right now, I want to go play on the PGA tour. I'm a good golfer. I've won a couple club, club championships. I, I enjoy golf, but if I went out in the PGA senior tour right now, I'd fall flat on my face. Okay. So they start investing the supernatural abilities that are on them. Right. Okay. So what happens? The first two multiply. And when the master returns, what does he say to them? Well done. Good and faithful servant. If he stopped right there, I couldn't write this book. Yeah. It's the next statement. You were faithful. Whoa. He just directly connected multiplication with faithfulness. Because there's nothing else in that parable that Jesus illustrates that these guys did except simply multiply. So when he says you were faithful, he directly equates being faithful to multiplication. Huh. And I've asked leadership teams all over the world, give me your definitions of faithful. And I've never once heard, and I'm talking about secular, professional athletics. I'm talking about, I've talked to all these different teams. I've never heard anybody say multiplication. Mm. That's one of the primary definitions of faithful is multiplication. So we have this image, if I just have my nice business, take care of my family, go to church, serve as an usher, I'm faithful. According to that parable, in regard to your work, you're lazy. Because Larry maintained his gift. Started with one, ended up with one. He maintained it, didn't invest it. And he was called wicked and lazy. It reminds yeah. me of the passage where uh, Jesus has got a couple people before him and at the judgment. They said, did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not cast out demons? And he's like, bro, I don't know who you are. It, it's, that whole, it's that whole sort of conversation of doing the work of God and doing the will of God. And so it's, it's this faithfulness, this belief component, this grace for empowerment conversation that I think is really missing from the, the deutimous power of the church, right? I mean, the, the, the move of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the calling out of, of his church, of his saints, and empowering them in their communities and in their roles. And so I, I think this is, a, I think Jeff said, this is a reframing of how we see church. But I do think culturally right now is the perfect time to reframe everything that we're doing. You know, in March, I, I said, God, or actually it was April when everything was on lockdown. I said, why, why did you have me write this book now? And God said, I've always had you write books that are prophetic the time, at the time they're launched. And here this book launches November 17th, 2020, which is next week. I don't know when we're airing this podcast, but I look at what's happening with the racial division, the COVID, the elections, and people's tendency right now is to withdraw, mm -hmm. protect, preserve, when in reality, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Yeah. So I really believe this is a prophetic word from God. Because now is the time when I really believe we're going to shine. I'm, I, I'm looking for the greatest move of the Spirit of God we've ever seen. And I'm not just saying this quaintly, all right? 
-hmm. But this move isn't going to happen inside our conference centers. It's not going to happen inside the four walls of our churches. It's going to happen in the marketplace, in the healthcare arenas, in education arenas, in government. And this is what, this is why I'm so excited to be talking to you guys. Because these are these, here, here's these young students that are ready to blast into life. Yeah. I want them, and I hope every student will read this book, and I'm not saying it because I wrote it, okay? We're going to give... We're going to give millions of these books away to pastors overseas in the next year. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not guy, but I'm just saying this, that I believe in this book, this will literally help them identify and then engage and then multiply their unique giftings because it's got to be done by faith and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Addison read this book in one day. And I laughed at him and I said, no way. It's 270 pages. He said, well, I did have two bathroom breaks. He said, but dad, I couldn't put it down. And he said, you said things in here I've never heard you say. Wow. Mm -hmm. And for your oldest son to say that, that was pretty, pretty. He said, dad, it's just, it's a different book than you've ever written. And I said, it's because I wrote it with a dad's heart, a father of, in the church. I said, if I wrote it 10 years ago, it would have been a prophetic message. I said, it's a father's heart wanting to see everyone under him succeed yeah everyone you know younger than him i don't want to say under me i, I hate that i want to scratch that everyone yeah. younger than me i want to see them greatly succeed yeah john um, you you framed this in the parable of talents you mentioned that earlier and i think you renamed them and i think larry is the one talent guy right in the yeah book. yeah in in the parable of talents and in your story as well that that he doesn't invest out of fear and, and fear is the limitation. How do we address the fears in our life that keep us from stepping into the, the multiplication of our potential, the callings, the, the giftedness? Because I think that's the, the, sometimes the debilitating piece of the puzzle. I have a whole chapter on that. <laughs> I'm halfway through the book. I'll get there. I know. I will say this, that one day... Um, God spoke to me and he said, any area in your life that you fear in, John, is an area you still own. You haven't given it to me. Yeah. Wow. You haven't put it under the cross. And when we own something, we can lose it. Yeah. When we don't own anything, we can't lose anything. And I had realized, it was actually in the area of my sons. I realized I took ownership of my sons instead of realizing I was only a steward of four men that belonged to God. And I have never fought fear of my sons dying since. Wow. And it was a real moment for me. It's when I really realized that the only reason people have fear and the reason people want, we're, we're taking the hugest, what you would call risk that I've ever taken in ministry. We just made the decision two weeks ago. You would say, this is crazy. Why would you do this at 61 years of age? It's because I've heard from God. And when you hear from God, it goes from the realm of risk to faith. And faith, if it's presumptuous, if you want to try to make God move for you, is very, very dangerous. But when God speaks to your heart, I don't care. I told our team, I said, I'd rather, have, I'd rather sink this entire ministry and have Jesus say, you obeyed me, yeah. then for us to preserve this ministry and have Jesus say, why didn't you obey me? Because there would have been much greater multiplication if you would have obeyed me. 
So I believe that, and I hate saying this, but you know, guys, I did spend 400 hours writing this book. Yeah. I believe what this book's going to do is eradicate self-preservation in people huh. as well as build their faith. And I believe they're going to be fruitful. And that's my heart as a dad, because I know if you look at a human being's body and over 90% of that body is not functioning, it's an invalid. But if I can get the whole body of Christ to function in their gifts, we're going to have a strong, healthy body of Christ. And we're going to get this job done really quick. Yeah. All we have to do is our parts. So it has been a pleasure being on with you guys. Rob and Jeff, you guys are amazing. I can really sense God in this. I sense he's on this program. I hope a lot of your students listen to this program because I just really sense the presence of God. So let's just believe for them to multiply, right? Amen. John, if, if you don't mind, we have one very short question uh, left that we'd like to ask all of our guests on the show. And that is, um, what is one lesson you learned outside of the classroom in college? One lesson yeah. I learned outside. <laughs> um, here's the big lesson. The condemnation of missionary dating is a fallacy. <laughs> we will we will take that we That's, will take that. whenever i heard hear a pastor condemn missionary dating i just smile and go well it worked for me <laughs> it worked out well too well, this wow thank I, you so much yes it has been an incredible joy and i know for rob probably the the second fourth, yeah. maybe fifth greatest pleasure of his life. I don't know. Indeed. He's got two kids in a marriage. So maybe it's fourth. No, I don't know. Well, um, I do remember running down in the basement and meeting you guys. Yeah. And I, I remember it distinctly and it took me a little while to remember it, but yeah, I was, I was like, darn, why did she get to be on their program and not me? Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it was, it, it was fun. It was fun being with you guys. We Thank appreciate it. And, and I, I know my life has been impacted by your work yeah, and this book is, is, Again, I'm about halfway through it, um, and it has been impactful. Like, it's a lot to chew on. I mean, I'm not like Addison. I'm not breezed through it, but because I've been kind of piecing through it and going, wow, that's me. I need to fix that. Yeah. And so um, I think for all of us, I think we don't want to live under the potential of a guy has for our life, and this book speaks to that. And so we appreciate this book and all the work you and Lisa and, and your sons have done with Sons and Daughters. It's an incredible work in the kingdom. We're so happy to be connected to the Bevere family. Absolutely. And Thanks as we so like much. to say here at The Drip, man, you've always got a seat at the table. Well, thank, thank you, Jeff, for the pastoring work that you're doing, as well as the program. And Rob, thank you for spearheading this program. And let's just make it a goal that we're not going to have any Ryan Leafs in the body of Christ. Okay. Amen. I'm sure Ryan's a great guy. I'm not trying to, <laughs> yeah. it was an excellent example you brought up. Hey guys, I love you both. God bless. Thanks, John. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye. Hey friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the leadership drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media. That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.